turn to Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. If you're new with us today, the way we do it is just go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And um, we're in the thick of the marriage section in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in verses 25 to 30, uh, last week and this week, focusing on husbands, God-given assignments with our wives. Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. Follow as I read, this is the Word of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Amen. So, in verse 25, we establish the chief assignment for husbands, which is love. And uh, all that follows through verse 30, is really just fleshing out what this love looks like. So, um, the first thing that we learn is the love that we're called to is not the stuff of desire, but of action. Love is sacrifice. Uh, Jesus loved the church when He died for her. Such is the love that we are called to with our wives. And not just husbands with wives, but also wives with husbands. Um, you know, the, both the call to sacrifice and to submit are really just concerned with action. That's not to say that the desires of love are unimportant, but they are secondary to the call to action. In other words, we can love no matter how we feel. Uh, in fact, love may often feel to us like death. But in God's paradigm, death is central to love. And we always have to remember that death always comes before resurrection. So we just keep dying and we trust that resurrection is near. And that's true for all of us, whether married or not. A sacrifice is the epitome of love. But there's more to it because the husband, uh, the love that the husbands are called to is not only to imitate Jesus' sacrificial love on the cross, but also to imitate His sanctifying love. His nurturing, cleansing, maturing love uh, for us as we grow throughout the Christian life. Verses 26 and 27 describe Jesus' sanctifying love for His bride, the church. He sets us apart. He cleans us and grows us and matures us throughout our lives. And then one day, someday, He will present us holy and blameless before Him without blemish. So, an image that helps me is uh, when He saved us, we were like an old car that He bought from the salvage yard. We were beat up, we were rusted out, we were missing some very important parts. But throughout our lives, He is restoring us. And on that day when we see Jesus face to face, we will have been fully and finally restored. So, one of the things that stands out here is that our maturity in Christ is a process. 
And so is our maturity uh, as a spouse uh, and as a couple. And in both the Christian life in general and in marriage, we're in the middle of the restoration, not at the end. You know, it's easy to become frustrated by where we are, but if we take a step back and understand that this whole thing is a, a much longer process and we're committed to a lifetime, you know, we can expectantly, we can live in the moment and we can also expectantly wait to see what God is going to do with us in the end because He's not done. And again, that helps us um, not, o- not only embrace where we're heading, but also where He has us right now. So, in terms of marriage, we have to commit ourselves to a lifetime of marriage, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we have to adjust our expectations for where our marriage should be right now. We're in, the mi- <clears throat> we're in the middle of the restoration, not at the end, and the car doesn't get restored overnight. Uh, to change the illustration, many of us expect the fine wine right now, but it just ain't time. You know, that's not to say that there aren't good $10 bottles, but that's where most of us are right now in our marriages. We're $10 bottles. And I like $10 bottles. You know, my marriage is quite enjoyable much of the time. Jeff and Sue are probably about a $30 bottle. But, uh, you know... $100 yeah. But the point is, the real good stuff takes time. It takes living out God's plan over a lifetime. So we have to take a step back. We have to be able to regularly refocus and see our marriages are in the process of maturity and restoration. They're heading towards a very good end, as all of us are individually as well, but we can't rush the process. Um, Some of the process of maturity and restoration is pretty abrasive like sanding rust or crushing grapes, but the Lord knows exactly what He's doing. So we just keep trusting Him and keep following Him according to His design. Let's pick up in verses 28 through 30. We have just seen the way that Jesus loves His bride, the church, which in the text is also called His body. We know that. We know that we are His body Um, He cares for His body, cleanses and grows us and matures us. And in the same way, uh, we husbands should love our wives the way that we love our bodies. No one has ever hated his own body. We nourish and cherish our bodies like Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church because we're members of His body. So let's just stop here for a minute and think about the fact, because I think there's some instruction and some encouragement for all of us, um, married or not, just in the fact that we are all members of Jesus' body. And whether or not we're married now, uh, we will not be married forever, but we will always be Jesus' bride, uh, members of His body. So again, no one in their right mind harms their own body how much more can we be certain that Jesus will not harm His body? He's perfectly in His right mind. And we're members of His body. Therefore, we can be certain that He's not going to harm us. He may discipline us. He may stretch us. He may work us out a little bit and get us into shape. 
but He's not out to harm us. He's going to, you know, set the joints into the exact location that He wants us. He's going to stretch us and get us into the exact shape that He wants us to be in. Um, We're right where He wants us. We're heading right where He wants us to go. We are His body. I think half the time, you know, just how we uh, deal with ourselves in our in our insecurities and, and uncertainties in the faith is we just argue with ourselves according to what we see here. I'm His body. Let's think about this. I mean, no one in their right mind is going to harm their body. And how much more, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, he, He's not going to harm me. I'm His body. Uh, that's good stuff. All right, for the rest of our time, let's focus on the husbands from verses 28 to 30. And again, the idea here in the text is we're thinking about our wives as our own bodies because Jesus' bride, the church, is His body. Jesus doesn't harm His body, so we don't harm our bodies. Uh, Therefore, we shouldn't harm our wives. Rather, we should nourish and cherish our bodies. So what sort of things harm our wives? And uh, wives, I'll say this, at the end I'll ask you to fill in the gaps, but um, you know, I haven't come up with exhaustive lists of things, but um, if you can share things without you know, throwing your husband under the bus or whatever, that, that would not be good either. But uh, what sort of things harm our wives? Uh, one is neglect. In his book, Reforming Marriage, uh, Doug Wilson asks us to think about our wives like a garden. It's been pretty helpful to me. Uh, Husbands are gardeners, and our wives are the gardens. And sometimes weeds grow in the garden. In certain seasons, the weeds really take off in the garden. Well, what happens if you don't tend the weeds? They take over. What happens if you don't water? Well, the flowers and the bushes burn up. So when we moved into our house uh, five years ago, the flower beds had been neglected for at least five years um, before that. It had to be five years. I mean, the rose bushes were literally above the, uh, the gutters. And uh, weeds, I mean, it was just really impressive. Weeds had roots that were, you know, five feet under the ground and had become trees. And uh, Our flower beds aren't the best in the world now. But uh, they're nice. I like them. How do we get there? Well, a lot of work. And uh, how do we keep it there? Consistent care. So husbands, I think a lot of times we see certain issues, certain weeds in in our wives. And if we're honest, we just want them to kind of deal with that and get back to us when they've kind of worked that out. And, And then we'll kind of get back in our lanes and and go forward, we just want them to make our lives a little more convenient. It feels fairly inconvenient, these weeds. Um, but gardens don't tend themselves, and those weeds are our responsibilities. God has given us the responsibility for the care and the cultivation of the garden, and we had better get to work. Uh, I go back to the conversation that I had with Tiffany. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we were, you know, one year into our marriage. She was overwhelmed to the max. We had a conversation at dinner, if you can call it that. It was really just a meltdown at the dinner table. And God might as well have spoken audibly to me right then and there. Uh, I knew what He was saying. This is your responsibility. We can't continue in the way that we've been going. Uh, We got here under my leadership, and it's my responsibility to lead us out. 
the cares and concerns of our wives, their fears, their anxieties, their insecurities, their loves, their hates, all of them, they're our responsibility. A good gardener understands there are going to be weeds. You know, there's really no sense in being frustrated by the weeds. We're just wasting energy. We have to tend the weeds and water the garden. And with care, um, you don't tend the garden with a weed eater. You know, although sometimes we'd like to, but uh, it brings me to the next way that we harm our wives, with it, which is with... Uh, anger or harshness. So, men, when you shave, some of you obviously don't, but uh, (laughs) if you were to, uh, would you press as hard as you can and go back and forth as fast as you can in whatever direction? Of course not. Um, A good question for us then, we're thinking about loving our wives as we love our bodies. I mean, do we talk to our wives with the same care? Because we're to love our wives as we love our bodies. So we can't talk to our wives like we talk to the boys. Um, I think I've shared this in here before, but it's helpful for me to think about men are like baseball bats, women are like crystal vases. And uh, when we're harsh or abrasive or sarcastic with the boys, it's like banging two baseball bats together or hitting them on the cleats or something. You know, I mean, you might get a few dings. It's fine. Um, But when we're harsh or abrasive with our wives in the same way, it's like taking a baseball bat to a crystal vase. You just get a different result. Simply put, uh, anger and harshness are terribly destructive. And the thing about this, what our text implies, is that harming our wives is really harming ourselves. In verse 28, it says, Loving your wife is loving yourself. And the inverse is true too. Hating your wife is hating yourself. Uh, Working against your wife is working against yourself. Neglecting your wife is neglecting yourself. Breaking down your wife is breaking down yourself. God has made us one. We're going to get into that more next week. Um... But God's design, again, is that we would complement one another. And when we work against one another, we're really working against ourselves and uh, working against you know, where we desire to go. So when wives are um, unsubmissive and naggy in uh, hoping, and the desire there, it's, it's a mixture of their sin there, but there's also a real desire to like get my husband to be better in his role, you know? And this is the way that I just am going to go about trying to kind of prod him to do that. But that actually moves the husband further away from embracing his God-given assignment. In the same way, when husbands uh, neglect to sacrificially love and lead and nourish and cherish our wives or when we pervert uh, that with you know, harsh, overbearing leadership. We're working against what we actually desire, which is for them to flourish, and we're just going about it in all the wrong ways, moving them further and further away from embracing their God-given assignment. So how do we nourish and cherish our wives? Um, I have a number of things for you. Again, not an exhaustive list, but I would think it would be a good start. Um, For one, think about the time and the attention to detail that it takes to nourish and cherish our own bodies. 
uh, bathing, shaving, clothing, feeding, strengthening, you know, whatever it is. It takes time to nourish and cherish our own bodies, and in the same way, it takes time to nourish and cherish our wives. Uh, Quantity time and quality time. Face-to-face time, not just face-to-screen time. I would say, um, you know, a little bit of time set aside every day that we ought to be asking our wives about their day with unhindered listening. Listening with our eyes and with our ears. And I think that would go a long way. And not just the day-to-day time, but the intentional set-aside extended time. You know, a date. Uh, We used to do that. But uh, a a date where, you know, even we take initiative in deciding what we're going to do and we decide based on what she would like. Uh, Regular dates. And um, not just daily face-to-face listening and regular dates, but also frequent family time with our kids. And about this, um, and look, I'm not making rules. I'm just things that I see that crowd. We can all agree that the pace of life that our culture sets for us is not sustainable in the type of life that we would like to have. Uh, in our marriages, in our families, and that sort of thing. So, don't settle for the pace of life that the culture demands of you. Um, Do not forfeit time with your wife and kids for sports and activities every night. And, you know, it happens all of a sudden. It's like, wait, how did we get here? And uh, a couple things about that. They're not going to go pro. Um... It's not as important as they're telling you they'll play in high school if they're good enough. And uh, I think everyone gets swept up into it to some degree. We have to fight the current to some degree. It's not to say that all those things are wrong. I don't think that at all. But, man, I can tell you this. I do hear it regularly. Um, You know, I think this is one of the things that overwhelms our wives more than anything because... uh, Every wife has some aspect of her love, love language as quality time, and, you know, these things steal our time. So, we have to do something about it. I wish my dad were here. Um, and look, I'm not, you know, it's easy for me to talk about because I haven't faced the current yet. I'm like paddling up here and everything's calm, and it, you just get swept up into it when they get to a certain age. We're not there yet. So... You guys are going to have to, you know, help me, and I'm going to be trying to fight upstream too. But I, I've listened to my dad a lot in this, and uh, it's been really helpful. You know, I played competitive sports year-round. I played baseball, basketball, football, and golf, and there was never a season uh, when I was not playing something. Every season overlapped. It started when I was seven years old, and it ended, you know, in high school or whatever. Um, And I just know that to do it over, he would not do it the same way. Practices and games nearly every night. Uh, We stopped family dinners when I was single digits. It just wasn't a part of our normal rhythm. And I think it's safe to say that that will exhaust and exasperate uh, our wives. Next, um, cherishing involves protecting. 
And another quote by Doug Wilson, uh, he said somewhere, a man should not be hard on his wife, he should be hard for his wife. That's helpful to me, but... uh, you know, God may not call us to literally die to our wives, but they ought to know that, you know, if push comes to shove, uh, we're going up to bat and not them. We must protect her from physical harm. We must protect her from spiritual harm. You know, protect her from the black hole of comparison uh, with other wives and other moms, which is to say not don't compare, but you know, affirming her and, and uh, giving her that security of our love for her and affirmation. And most of all, for, you know, God's love for her and affirmation. Um, I would also say, you know, protecting her from setting sail in the prevailing winds of the culture, again, which we just get swept up in. Uh, here's one area where many of you and, and wives included will think I'm crazy, but I'm good with that. And, uh, Husbands, I believe we should protect our wives by speaking into the way that they dress. Um, The culture is decidedly heading in the opposite direction of where we're trying to go. And I know many Christians laugh at modesty these days. You know, I had the modesty talk when I was little. And, you know, but we're not better for laughing at modesty. It's still a very biblical idea. And, uh, I would just say this, ladies, you may never understand how a man's mind works, and be thankful because you would have never married one, but uh, <laughs> at least I can say, um, and I'm not putting this all on you, I just think things that we ought to consider, and uh, many Christian women are on the opposite end of the spectrum from where we need to be on this issue. And let me tell you this, if you're trying to get attention, and only you and God know that, but if you're trying to get attention, you probably are getting attention, but I guarantee you you don't know the kind of attention that you're getting. Um, And I'm not just talking about boobs hanging out or whatever, but like, you know, something that I think is some of the trends in uh, exercise clothes, frankly, they're just inappropriate for Christian women. And uh, those things need to be thought through. Those things need to be talked through. Um, If your shirt or your pants look like someone painted them on, and and from like 12 feet away I could actually make that mistake, like, oh, she just has paint on today. Um, You know, probably worth thinking about. Uh, And to the men, I would just say, our wives don't know how our minds work, and they don't need to know all of the way that they work, but we can protect them by speaking into these issues. All right, another way to nourish and cherish our wives, uh, the way Jesus washes His body, it says in our text, is with the Word, and we're to care for our wives in the same way. So, um, you know, both encouraging her in her personal time with the Lord alone and spending time in the Word together. And again, you know, guilting her, in her about her time alone with the Lord is not the same as encouraging her in her personal time with the Lord. And uh, I've certainly made that mistake. Um, I think one of the best ways we can encourage our wives in personal devotional time is by spending time in the Word together. 
And again, I have been very terribly inconsistent at this over the vast majority of our marriage um, starts and stops, neglect. But God has called us to lead our wives spiritually, and uh, that is not going to happen apart from regular interaction in the Word together and regular intentional discussion of spiritual things. Um, and not just you know organically as they come about, because then they just don't come about. We have to make them, make them come about. So, something that we've started doing that might help. And uh, again, there are better examples than this, but I'm uh, fighting. But our kids go to bed around the same time every night. And uh, regardless of that time, we're usually putting them down together. There are exceptions, but... Uh, so we've started taking a few minutes after bedtime to open the Bible together, read a chapter, and say a short prayer. And you know, if there's something that comes up in discussion, but a lot of times there's not, it's five minutes of reading a chapter, saying a prayer. I, I read that book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, and what really struck me about that is uh, Corey and her sister Betsy were single. They lived with their dad their whole lives until they went to a concentration camp. And every morning and every night... He would open the Bible at the breakfast table and read a chapter and say a prayer and every night, you know, open. And I'm sure there was discussion, but the thing that they relayed was just the reading and prayer. Well, that was very instrumental in their growth and maturity in Christ. And then that practice was very instrumental in them leading who knows how many women to Christ in the concentration camps as every night they opened the Bible, read a chapter, said a prayer, you know, and there it was. But uh, it's fairly simple, and there's an idea. All right, another way to nourish and cherish our wives is prayer. Um, And not just scheduled times of prayer, but, you know, she's worried about something. I remember Randy Ray talking about uh, his wife Sherry was really worried about a haircut. And we're like, really? I mean, but, yeah, she was worried about haircuts. Like, I don't know, never gone to this woman before and maybe she's just going to butcher it and it was a that was her concern for the day and so he said can I pray for you and he just talked about you know those are the things that we're concerned with and a lot of the things that we worry about you know maybe aren't that big on the scale but like whatever that's what we're worried about today and so wherever our concerns are you know just hey can I pray for you about that uh, is a way that we can nourish them And, um, you know, send a text during the day. Hey, how can I pray for you today? Um, Praying for our wives even when they don't know we're praying for them. You know, again, back to the image of uh, the process. We're in the middle of the restoration. There's still rust. we still got missing parts. I mean, things are looking better. You know, we we can tell where we're going. But we kind of, we have to continue to step back from the project because it's frustrating sometimes. And look at where we're really going, which we see in our text. Perfect, spotless, blameless. We're going to stand before God without sin. And it's helpful to take a step back and to pray in light of the end as opposed to, you know, just according to what we see. Um, You know, praying that they would know the encouragement of the security of the ends um, and that that would then refresh them in the middle of the restoration and for wisdom as to how to best participate in her restoration. Um, 
Another way to nourish and cherish our wives, if you have kids, uh, leadership in disciplining them, and, you know, not as we all tend toward in harsh, impatient discipline, but uh, fighting to discipline them firmly, uh, consistently, and lovingly. Um, you know, it's it just seems to be... I haven't done a study, but it seems to be an easily observable fact that kids respond differently to dad's discipline than they do to mom's. It makes me really have a heart for single mothers. I mean, if you know one or some, you know, reach out to them and uh, encourage them. Um, But, you know, leaving all the discipline to our wives is a sure way to Uh, crush them. Not only in discipline, but leading in the instruction of the Lord in our home. You know, reading the Bible to our kids, praying with them, uh, do it before bed, whenever it is. But, um, and about this with our wives and with our kids, I know that many are not comfortable with this. Um, I don't think that any of us are comfortable with this at first. And uh, with our wife or with our kids, you know, I have spiritual conversations all the time. I open the Bible and pray with people all the time. But it was really hard for me even still to get that going with my wife and my kids. And yet, uh, nothing is more fruitful, you know, and uh, frankly, more enjoyable. And even if it feels like rote discipline at first, it's worth it uh, to just do it. Um, another general way we nourish and cherish our wives is just, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but just locating her burdens. This is, you know, all of our wives are different. Uh, some of our wives carry things uh, well that others don't. And locating burdens, um, seeking to relieve them, you know, a good way to locate them is to listen to complaints and study them and see if there's common themes, you know. Um, there always is. Another way, uh, non-sexual touch, you know, like holding hands or a kiss with your hands in your pockets or, uh, you know, uh, something like that would be good. Um, And another way, and we're going to talk more about this next week, um, women are not the only ones that keep their distance in the bedroom, uh, men do for various reasons, shame, guilt, uh, whatever. But um, just pursuing one another in sexual relationship regularly. It's funny that that's a command in the Scripture, which tells me something that, like, that's not easy. Uh, that doesn't come naturally. Something we need to be reminded of. And so uh, it is nourishing. Uh, guys, sometimes it feels like you're trying to force-feed your wife and, you know, maybe just keep your hands to yourself sometimes but uh, again not an exhaustive list but uh, just seeking to help us understand how we should love our wives as God has designed we have all failed miserably Um, praise God for his grace as Jessica reminded us last week our identity is not in our performance of how we've done Uh, it is in Christ and His performance on our behalf. And we ought to thank God too that His grace is not only for forgiveness but also for transformation um, to follow Him. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, um, we thank you that you speak so intimately into these areas in our lives, uh, not just from the big picture view, but uh, also into the uh, various details of where we live. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us all to find our soul identity in Christ. And uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for living in our place, uh, keeping perfectly all of God's commands and uh, dying in our place for all of our transgression of your commands. Lord, refresh us in your uh, grace for us and the forgiveness of sins and empower us by your Holy Spirit uh, to live according to design for your glory, that we might show your wisdom in the way that you've set things up, uh, that we might be the light that you've called us to be in the world. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we have a couple minutes for questions or comments. If uh, I know it's hot, people are ready to go. Anybody has anything? Any general categories that I left out in terms of nourishing and cherishing? You covered them. Covered them? Well, from the from the ladies. All right, we're good. We're done. Have a good day.